Good afternoon. That was Justin Bieber with Confident. What a jam. Anyway, the clock's just struck after two and it's time for Stuff Central. We're going to be doing it a bit different today, as in myself and Neil Manges is going to be doing it today. Neil, say hello. What's up, Mike? This is your radio debut. I know. It feels a bit weird being on the other side of the glass. Tell me, were you a bit nervous before? Never, Mike. Never. Nerves of steel. (laughs) And when they told you the topic would be everything tech, how did that make you feel? That's perfect. Right up my alley. So, your first time on radio? Absolutely. Are you a bit nervous? You can tell me. Be honest. <laughs> no, I'm strong, Mike. I'm strong. How are you doing, huh? I'm, I'm great. I've been so excited. They told us about this, what, on Tuesday? So, Mike, I'm interested to know, what is it that you know about tech? I mean, that's the, that's the interesting part here. You see, today's a bit different. It, we're not doing a tech tech. We're doing a tech life. Ah. So, stuff such as uh, e-commerce we'll chat about later. Uh-huh. We've got some professionals in the building. Um, augmented reality. Sounds interesting. Ever heard of that? Is that what you do at night when you're watching ETV, uh, FTV? FTV? <laughs> I don't even think that channel still exists. Anyway, Neil, I'll allow you the honor of introducing our guests. Great. Thanks, Mikey. Today, we've got some uh, very special guests in the studio. We're talking online shopping. We're talking e-commerce. And we've got Prudent Spratt from Spratt Consulting and Justin Drennan from Parcel Ninja. How are you doing, guys? Good. Thanks, Neil. Nice, cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Should we start off with explaining exactly what you do in the company? Prudence, you want to go first? Okay. Um, I'm a director at Sprack Consulting. Um, I'm a founding partner as well, so I started the company. Um, I'm the lead consultant on the e-commerce builds, so I'll go into uh, clients and understand their requirements. Um document them and um, kind of program manage the e-commerce build from start to finish. Yeah, so basically all things on all e-commerce projects that we run with. Wow, Neil, you didn't mess around, eh? You went straight to straight the top of the guns. company. Big guns, Mikey. <laughs> what about you, Justin? CEO of like Microsoft or something? No, 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 not, not, not quite as glamorous. Uh, I've actually been in online retail for quite a few years, probably been in it for about seven years. Um, we started a business called Want It All back in 2007, which was a specialist import of products from the U.S. that you can't find in South Africa. We then branched out and got involved in a business called Superbulous.com, which is an online fashion player. No ways. Yep. You started Superbulous. We were involved. No, we didn't. We we sort of invested in the business a few years ago together with the guys that really know what they're doing, which is Claude, Luke. <laughs> Mikel and, and I should be like a founding member I spend so much there yeah, that's fine we'll take your money so it's all good <laughs> so we got involved in that business and then um, we ended up doing some e-commerce implementations for uh, some of the larger online retailers so macro.tier today runs on our platform and we do work for them and then at the same time we ended up building a business called Parcel Ninja Dokoza, which is an online sort of retail specialist um, focusing on the physical distribution of products. So we saw a sort of need for, for retailers to be able to distribute products easily. And basically what we do is the guys leave their products in our warehouse. They then push an order to us. We pick, pack, fulfill, and distribute on their behalf and basically do all the heavy lifting, they say, or all the hard work for the online retailers so they can focus on what they do, which is actually sell products. So I know there's a term such as push and pull. So you guys more of a pull system or a push? Well, it depends. It depends what you're talking about there in, in regards to marketing. Are you talking to? Because are you going to now push the product to the consumer, 
or you're going to now make the consumer pull the product because you're you guys are a warehouse. Correct. Now, from the logistic point of view, mm? you have to now create a a database and sort of an online system so that you can actually push your product to the customer. So, so it's 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 quite complicated, <laughs> but effectively what you would do is if you were online, if you decided to, tomorrow that you want to start a Cliff Central online retail business, you would go and you'd install a shopping engine, let's just say Shopify.com, which will probably cost you like twenty dollars a month. You'd install the plugin, which is Parcel Ninja. You'd then go and drop your products at my warehouse, and you'd be able to sell it online almost instantly. So, as someone buys from the website. The order would go into my warehouse, and we'd go deliver to the address for them, for you. So the order goes into your warehouse, and then straight to the customer. So there's no like, uh, what's the name? Storage cost you have to pay. There, there, there are a few costs around that. So the, the first cost is obviously the storage cost, and then there's a cost around the sort of insurance of the goods. Um, then there's a cost for us to pick and pack and get the order ready. And then there's obviously a cost associated with the physical delivery, which is a courier charge, which what we do, which is quite nice, is we consolidate your products together with other people's products to go to the couriers to get a great rate. Because what we do is if you were shipping five products a day. And then is that price now becoming cheaper for me? Correct. Uh, and we we pass that saving on to you. And at the same time, what we do is we find that the retailers don't really like focusing on the fulfillment part of things. So no one really likes to go and pick and pack boxes. That's not sexy. What the guys like to do is they like to choose the products that they want. So what the shop owners like to do is they like to select their products. They like to uh, curate their products. They like to um, sell products to clients and, and fulfill on the client's needs. And what they don't want to do is they don't want to pick and pack. And so that hard work or the, the, the less glamorous stuff we sort out for you. Now, this question is probably better suited for Prudence. The other day, I went shopping online to see if I could get something for cheaper. Mm -hmm. And I found it, let's say it was 2,000 Rand, this computer. Okay. Then I went into the shop, and now it's like 2,700. And I said, can't you match the price of your online site? And they said no. And I thought that was ridiculous. Why not? That's a good question. It should be a standardized price, no? Well, I agree with you. It's the same company. The same product is just a different way of getting to me. Why must I now pay for the form it's getting to me? For sure. So you're saying it was cheaper online? Yeah, it was about 700 Rand cheaper online. Okay, was that with or without delivery costs? That delivery costs were free over the value of 1,000 Rand. And it included tax. I hate that when you go shop (laughs) online, that price doesn't include tax. And then you have to go add on the tax. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it can add it into the shopping cart or not. Um, would you would you think that the company should make it a standardized price? The, well, the price? price you see um, when you s- select the button add to cart should be your final price. That should include tax. That's the best way to set the the uh, the user's expectation as to what they're going to be paying. You shouldn't. Um, yeah, so you should be as upfront with them uh, as possible. So that should be the end price that you see. Should it, so, yeah, it should include tax. But that's a bit unusual that it was cheaper online because I normally find the opposite. I mean, I know a lot about um, the law and that they need – like the company, they should be matching each other's prices. And, of course, it, with all these things online, what's it called? Um, price check. Yeah. You can actually just go to one standardized place mm-hmm. and get a price for – all different companies that sell the product. Correct, yeah. I, I proper love that website for the, for the one fact that no one's going to try to screw you over. Yes. Price comparison engines are actually very um, popular overseas. And, you know, that they've entered into the South African market. Um, I was slit my last job when they did. And it was, so that was 2012, 2013. And, 
we should see it evolve. It's you know you can compare the prices of airline tickets and now obviously as you say goods that you buy, so laptops, that kind of thing. But it's interesting that you said it was cheaper online because I actually find the opposite. Normally it's more expensive online um, because we still have things like you know expensive courier costs, Justin. Yeah, and um, storage and and warehousing and that kind of thing that we need to um, you know be aware of in the online space. But can't you skip out warehousing? I mean, you can place the order directly from the supplier, skip warehousing, get it delivered from the supplier to the consumer. A lot of suppliers won't do one-off deliveries direct to consumer. Um, you need to actually place bulk orders and manage that last mile yourself to the to the customer. So if you're buying from a very big um, merchant, uh, you'd have to buy 100 units or 1,000 units. You can't just buy one pair of tackies. So when Mike delivers to Parcel Ninja, they will deliver a couple of thousand boxes. They won't just deliver one. And Parcel Ninja will then hold it there. Correct. So, so just on that, I think what's important to remember is that, is that the model that you spoke about there is something called drop shipping. So drop shipping basically means that you as a retailer or online retailer don't actually physically hold any products. And when you receive an order, you just pass that on to your supplier and ask them to fulfill on behalf of yourself. And then you obviously take a margin for, or take a cut from, for doing that. The challenge that you find in South Africa is the majority of the, the wholesalers or the distributors, the distributors aren't really geared, like Pri was mentioning, for once-off deliveries. In the U.S., where it's fairly established, it's common practice. Yeah, in South Africa, the, the, the traditional re- wholesalers aren't used to delivering ones and twos of products. So what we do for guys is, is some of the, the, the sort of distributors come to us and we hold the stock in our warehouse and we do that exactly what you mentioned, which is dropship. Now, why do you think that people aren't doing the one-two deliveries? I mean, isn't it all about making it convenient for the consumer and easier for the consumer to get your product? Well, I think at the end of the day, don't forget e-commerce has been, up until, let's just say, the last year and a half, has been a fairly small percentage of all retail. And so the the wholesalers haven't really put focus on it. When, you, when you're doing ones and twos of small order quantities, it's not really exciting for you. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is that the, those guys are, are used to dealing with bricks-and-mortar stores. So as a wholesaler or distributor, what I'm used to is I'm used to packing 500 products together and going to drop it off at Macro and then dropping a 500 a game, 500 a D on wide, and then one or two to, to someone's door is completely different. So it's an entirely different process. And there all sorts of things from the physical layout of their warehouse all the way through to their systems don't support this sort of stuff. And so they're going to have to go through a retooling process. In other words, they need to fix their warehouses and change their warehouse to support this new e-commerce environment. And they still need to go through that process, which they haven't really started yet. So over time, we will see it improving and we will see that happening. But up until, up until now, we don't really see that as, as something that's happening in the market. But I think it's going to happen real soon. I mean, the introduction of e-commerce makes people want to go just to the shops for social experience, not for really a purchasing experience, because you can purchase it online, save your time, save time, money, and energy, and you no longer have to go to the shops. So soon, everyone's going to just catch on to this trend, because I know there's a lot of blockers to it, such as um, security, such as you can't try it on. What else blockers you get? Well, I think I think the big things from an online retail perspective is that the, the trust element is something that's key. And I think as the big retailers, and we're talking take a lot of macros, etc., start getting into the space and educating the public, in that e-commerce is is is, is not a is not a is trustworthy. They can put their credit card online. They will receive their products, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Long gone are the days where people are putting their credit cards online and are getting stolen. You are far more likely to get your credit card stolen at a restaurant compared to buying things online from a reputable store. 
to give you some idea. So I think so. Once we get over that initial hurdle, which is people purchasing for the first time or going through that that experience. Going through the experience and having a pleasurable experience, they will purchase again. So credit cards, I don't think is a challenge. I think the biggest challenge is more around the physicality, touching the, the products, feeling the products, the experience around shopping. You know what I mean? In South Africa, it's a very, it's a sort of very outdoorsy culture where the guys, there's huge shopping centers. The guys like to go to shopping centers. There's a shopping center culture here. They want to go eat at the shopping center. You want to buy your products. You want to hold your bag. You want to walk through the shopping center, showing everybody what you bought. It's a whole experience around that. And that's something that e-commerce is going to have to get over. But on the flip side of it, I don't go into shopping malls anymore. I buy everything online. Because there's no time. I mean, you have a job. You go in at 6 in the morning. There's there's no shops open before 6. You leave at about 4, get stuck in traffic. Clo- shops close like copper 6, 7. Yeah, and I, I don't like the shopping experience where you go to a busy mall where there's lots of people and they're getting And you go way. alone. And I have to go trek around to go find the same thing online. What I do, I, go to st- I can go to multiple stores almost instantly. Mm. I can shop around. I have... It, I have access to far more products. The pricing is very competitive, if not cheaper than in traditional stores we found online. So in other words, if you go to a company like Take-A-Lot, you'll see their pricing is very aggressive. And the delivery times where they used to be five to seven days in the old days are now one to two days. You order your product, you've got it tomorrow. I mean, that's a great customer experience. And and as people start embracing this thing, I think the bricks and mortar stores are going to start understanding that e-commerce is finally here. And I'm not saying it's, 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 and so when you look at the international standards and they say, oh, in the UK, like let's just say 10% of all transactions for retail are done online, that doesn't tell the whole story. What really you need to look at is in, in specific verticals. So what happens is when you say in books, that's a category, they say what percentage of those retail sales are not online? Mm-hmm. 70%. Electronics, 60%. Music, 80%. So don't take a, a, a cross-section of like every single category. You need to choose specific categories, look at those. And and when you look into those categories, you see that, that online retail is being embraced in those channels, like you said, because it's the hassle factor and everything, you get over it. You guys ever played a game called e-commerce? So this is how the game goes. We're going to pick a topic and we're going to see how your guys, how your company like uses the topic. And the first topic such as keep delivery charges minimal. What What does your company do in order to keep delivery charges to the minimum fee? Um, so my company, <laughs> re- recently on a project, um, I beat up Justin for about two months on delivery charges for a client. So I think that's how we kind of keep them down. So we've capped them at, at a very low cost um, per delivery. Um, and Justin has some very clever technology where he goes out to bid with his couriers and um, he'll give them a postcode and he'll actually go to the lowest bidder. So all you need to do is take a postcode to a courier. And then you can basically start a little bidding fight. Yes, correct. All right. What that, about that we do? So, so a few, there's a few things you must remember around courier. I think when you go with a flat rate courier from an e-commerce perspective, in other words, you go, listen, it's going to be 59 Rand for all orders. Uh, it limits you. in. So what happens when you do that is that you prejudice people that are in the major regions. In other words, a typical Santon delivery should probably cost around 40 Rand. But if you live in a place like Port Nolet. From where to Santon? Well, just, just let's just say Santon because the majority, 65% of all online retail is actually done in Gauteng. So 65% of Gauteng. Do you know the main geographic area in Gauteng that is, that's like large proportion for online shopping? So the majority of it is in the, in the space between Ilova and Four Ways. Ilova and, and Four Ways, why? That's, that's just apparently where all the online shoppers live, for whatever reason. But aren't they like the closest to the shopping centers, Santon Shopping Center? 
But they're probably also the guys with the most internet access and the highest disposable income. And that's also um. where Vitkopen runs through. So there's a big traffic element. So the guys can't leave, they literally can't leave their house. Mm. So they're at home ordering online all the time. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's where the most, that's where the geographic split is. So you go to 65% Gauteng, 15% Cape Town, and then the rest is uh, smatterings amongst the rest of the major regions. But then there are these outlying regions, like you say, Port Nolith, et cetera, which to deliver something there will cost you 700 Rand. So when you give guys a flat rate delivery charge, you take into account the Port Nolith, you take into account the Gauteng, the Joburg, Santons, and you average it out. What you should be doing is you should be giving the Joburg guy 40 Rand delivery and the Port Nolith guy 700 Rand delivery. Because when you do that, the Santon sales go up massively, which is where the, the population population is and then you see a much sort of larger growth in your online sales but that becomes a very difficult user experience to manage online yes it's just a process you need to follow we've got tech that enables you to sort of get a quote in real time to deliver a particular product to a particular destination in a particular time another tip for successful e-commerce is to be transparent and offer reassurance what is your company doing to offer reassurance what is on your website to say Listen, you can trust me. You can put in your credit card details. I won't sell them to anybody. What about you, Prudence? Well, my company doesn't sell anything. We build e-commerce sites for our clients, and we advise them to obviously just align to all of the local legislation. So the Consumer Protection Act, the Poppy Act, and um, the Protection Act, which is that's the Protection of Private Information Act. And, um, yeah, so just align with local legislation and be, you know, be fully disclosed in terms of how the user's information is used in terms of marketing to them and remarketing um, and reassure them that their details won't be sold to any third parties, etc., etc. Do you display it anywhere on your website? Like at the bottom, I see, always see at the bottom of the website, there's the like a whole C's. bunch of stuff that I don't bother reading. Yeah, or like there's a tick box to accept T's and C's, which is a clickable link, which you never, you never really click yeah, on. Yeah, no one ever really reads those. Is this, is there formality? They're all in there, yeah. Like, is it bad not to be reading this 20 page essay? I th- you know what? I think if you don't want to read it and you trust the, the e-tailer, then it's fine. You don't need to read it. But, you know, there are people, if they are worried, then it is there for them to go read. And that's kind of why it's there. It's there for the people who want to read it. But but nobody really reads it, let's be honest, yeah. I mean, I think from an e-commerce <laughs> perspective, there's a few components and there's best practices you're meant to follow. And internationally, they'll tell you, when you go launch an e-commerce site, put your telephone number on it. Trust symbols. You want Visa, MasterCard. You want a physical address there. You want an email address so they can contact you. You need to have these sort of elements that are standard internationally and that people have learned to trust. And when you have those elements on your site, you'll see people shop more often. So that's just four quick things. But there's a whole art and well, art slash science behind this where they tell you this is how your website must be set up. It needs these, this needs these elements, these components, these signatures, these sort of things put in the site. And without those... You aren't going to be you aren't going to be doing as well as you should be doing. And even if you don't have those things, um, you know the South African legislation applies to everyone. So, an online retailer, even if they don't have these things in place or on their site, you still can hold them accountable to the Consumer Protection Act and, you know, um, whatever that pertains to. So, to set up such a website, do you have to outsource it, or can you basically go on to WordPress and start setting up a website? You can, yeah, you can go into so WordPress anybody tomorrow. can just go set up a website, start, like, get a logistic chain together with any, like, supplier, DHL or whatever, and just start transferring goods until it gets, builds up and builds up and builds up. Yeah. It really depends on, 
you know, who the client is. I mean, if you're a big corporate, we wouldn't really recommend that um, because you, you'd obviously have a very complex supply chain that you would need to kind of break down and do it properly. But yeah, if you're, at a, if you're a person who's at home and you make your own goods that you'd like to sell online, then definitely, yes, you can get online. What are people nowadays buying online? I mean, I don't buy clothing online because of sizes and I never know, like my shoe size, I don't even know my shoe size. You never know if you're going to get a shirt and it's maybe a baggy shirt, but it's a large and that fits you perfectly. I mainly buy electronics online, books, because you can't go wrong your book size. What are people What are people buying? What's the trend nowadays? I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? I mean, so so the South African sort of e-commerce shopper follows the international trends at the end of the day. All that we always was just slightly lagged behind them. But, I mean, if you look at e-commerce, traditionally you'll see Media, so you say, let's say, books, CDs, DVDs are the traditional things, which are obviously being changed now as they become, like, digitized and, some, and move towards, like, dematerialized goods. Then, obviously, what you have is you have your standard electronics. We see a trend towards white goods at the moment. And then, obviously, fashion. Fashion is a major player. So, if you look in the U.S., the fashion retail businesses are, are some of the larger retailers. And from a fashion perspective, buying the, the biggest retailers, they just say Zappos in the U.S., they started as a as a shoe retailer and they focus on shoes why because you should know your shoe size you look like about a size 6 so if you take a shoe I'm probably <laughs> about a 6 maybe a 7 and a half so there you go so you ever want to send me shoes from Superbless eh? there we go we'll send you some more <laughs> shoes from there so, so basically you should know your shoe size so it's relatively easy to purchase at the same time in South Africa over the last year and a half the guys have worked really hard on return logistics which means that if you take something you buy it and you don't like it it's almost it's very very easy to return so people should be so sh- people should be willing to try out products effectively on APRO Try on the product, see if you like, and return what you don't want. And at the same time, you get access to far more items by shopping online, and you can and and you, you so you can try more products, variety of it, and there's no normally have stock of all the sort of things that you're looking for. So it's really easy for them to to go and buy fashion online now. We see men buying stuff, men buying shirts is easier than women buying shirts. So we see that. But in fashion retail, we normally work towards a 25 to 35 percent return rate on all products, and that's built into the business. So we know stuff's coming back. All we want is people just to try it on. 25 to 30% return. But then wouldn't that go under like a loss for the company? Because is someone else going to purchase that? Built into the margin. And it'll come back. And what happens is it'll be it, it'll be folded again, put back in the same way a traditional retailer. Lots of so things to like try on. it's like recycled. It's recycled through the process in exactly the same way that a traditional retailer, you're going to try something on, you put it back on the shelf, and they run through the process. How do you choose what to put on your online site? I mean, can you work out who's buying what? Like... An 18-year-old just bought a pair of shoes. Um, it, it's. There I mean, Superbalist has so much, so many different things on their sites, and each day is something new. So Superbalist is quite. So Superbalist is is quite a unique proposition there. So we have a team of curators. We're involved in a team of curators that went through and chose products that they deemed to be important or deemed that they would be able to sell them online, and then based on a particular sort of. Um, sizing curve to age groups and all that we took all those sort of factors into account and before any product goes into the site there's a whole back end formula that gets run do we have is it a black pair of shoes hold on we've got too many black pairs of shoes we need different colors are black shoes selling is it summer what sells in summer there's seasonality there's all sorts of factors that take into account price points and all of that to get taken into account before we put anything online and that is probably the most difficult thing is to try work out which products will work online and then how to market them with the whole so now you're at the end process of purchasing online. And I, when I was Googling e-commerce, I found so much on the actual cart. 
such as um, you must streamline to the cart, that if your cart, someone's got a cart and they decide to empty the cart and no longer purchase the stuff, that the company should now actively go seek why he emptied his cart. How important is this whole cart thing, like to monitor your cart and what the person does or doesn't do? So the cart is is the conversion to a sale. So that's how you get money from e-commerce. So it's probably the most important part of the online process. Um, so emptying your cart or leaving a full cart and going offline is called shopping cart abandonment. And... Yeah, so a lot of online uh, experienced online e-tailers do actively um, target shopping cart abandoners and say, come back, you know, you, you've still got these products left in your cart, do you want them? Or they incentivize them to come back by using a discount code or something like that. And it is all about the, or it used to, it used to be about the click-through path, uh, the, the click-through path optimization. So getting items in the cart and getting the cart checked out. Cause essentially that's, the that's way. the only way you make money. There is no other way. This whole thing about how one company tracks your cookies, say you're looking for airplane ticket on one site. As soon as you go to the other site, then the airplane ticket's more expensive because they could track you were looking on another site to compare prices. Yeah. I hate this, and what it should be illegal. You shouldn't be tracking what I do online to give me uh, higher prices. But that's how they know what to target to you. So but I don't you, like it. So when you get how to the superfluous homepage, that's how they know what to display. Well, I think what happens at the end of the day, there's a trade-off. In other words, as you give up personal information, you should be giving better prices as they know more about you. So the trade-off is personal information or allowing Google or whoever to follow you through cookies. And for that you trade off, for that trade-off, you should be getting a better internet experience in inverted commas. In other words, if, so I'll give you an example. If you go shopping nowadays to any of the international e-commerce sites, mm-hmm. add a particular item to your cart, leave the site and see what happens. As you start browsing other sites, that had that have adverts on their sites, that product will suddenly magically start appearing and following you around the internet. So if you add a pair of red shoes to your cart and then abandon the cart, for some reason in Facebook suddenly you start seeing red shoes. Gumtree is another good one. Yeah. So go onto a site, put something in your cart, then close that session. So it and could go to actually Gumtree. make it easier for you to start finding things online. Well, yeah. well they understand your intention. If Maybe it's a bit of an e-commerce trick out here. Go put something in your cart and then start looking for it. Make it 10 times easier to find. Well, what happens is you put something in your cart, you leave the site, and then just see how the discounts start piling up. Because what happens is they know that you're looking for this particular product, and then they chase you around the internet showing you that mm. product. And eventually they say, listen, it's been a week now. Justin hasn't purchased. Let's give him an offer. Let's take 10% off. Let's give him free shipping. Let's do something. That's common practice amongst the e-commerce guys. But the point is that they keep they keep keep you interested in the product the whole time because they know you are looking for it. So why not show targeted ads to you? There's no point in you looking for a red pair of Adidas shoes and then when you're browsing other sites and reading the news, they're busy showing you holidays to Thailand. There's no point. Yeah. Rather show you relevant adverts. And that's why I'm saying that that your internet experience improves by you giving up a bit of information. As you get that information up, suddenly the adverts and everything become far more targeted to you and you start having an experience that is more relevant to you. My main reason I give up my information is so that you don't try to start selling me things I don't want, so that you actually know me, so I can say I like sports, I like this. And you're not trying to sell me like romance books when I like sporting books. Yeah, so they're just doing that anonymously. So that's anonymous targeting and personalization of your internet experience. When was the last time you bought online, Neil? I think I bought uh, a flying shark, a remote control shark that f- uh, that flies through the air. Uh, that's just the last thing I bought online. It's like one of those balloon sharks. Yeah, right? those balloon sharks that fly through the air. They're very popular. And how was yeah, your shopping uh, experience? Uh, it was great. Uh, it was great. 
until my mate my mate destroyed it in the car. So yeah, that was the last thing I bought. So but did gadgets you return it? Uh, I can return it. Why? <laughs> it's from China. <laughs> you bought something from China. It was malicious. Online. It was maliciously broken. So there's no ways they'd return <laughs> return it. <laughs> What about guarantees, guys? Superbulous, what you're offering me? Well, I think the superbulous guys. That I think you should actually just go try out. Well, I think other people should go try out the superbulous shopping experience and realize like how good it is. At the end of the day, I think they're running massive specials at the moment. I know that last Friday was Black Friday, and we it was the busiest day we've ever seen on the site. And I think that that once people go to the site, understand how many products, the depth and breadth of products, and order something once, they'll get it again and again and again. Well, they'll understand how well the service and delivery is. And all of that's driven off our Parcel Ninja business because we're actually doing the fulfillment and making sure that the guys get the products in time. I mean, all that happens is Superbless says, we're going to sell you this product. So they find the product, curate the product, and, and get the person to buy. Then it's up to me. As Parcel Ninja, I then have to go and do all the deliveries, make sure the promises are met, and make sure that people get their products on time. I have like a craving for online shopping. I won't lie. <laughs> Straight after the show, I'm going to go do a bit of online shopping. Love it. I think I'm actually going to start like going into buying clothes. You should. Because this you, whole return you, you thing. You can do better than what you've got on at the moment. Yeah, oh. just use good sizing guides. You should get the right Do they have sizing guides online? Yeah, and for shoes. You can even print out mm. shoe guides and you put your foot on the floor and get the right size. Hobbit feet will work. Don't worry. <laughs> well, it has been great chatting to Justin and Prudence. We will be back right after this. We will discuss... Mike, sorry, Mikey, before we go, are we going to let uh, Justin and Prude do a little, little shameless plug there? Ah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, let's do that quickly. Justin, where can we reach you? If you need to get a hold of me, you can email me, uh, justin at parcelninja.coza. If you're looking to start an e-commerce site, doesn't matter how big or small, we can help you out there. Cheers. What about you, Prudence? If you're looking for me, you can get me at prudence at sprat. That's sprat with two t's, dot coza. Um, and our website address is sprat.coza. We'll be back with some augmented reality just after this. That was Rihanna with Ponder Replay. You're tuning into Stuff Central with myself, Neil Manchis, and uh, Michael Flex. And joining us today in the studio is uh is a, is the is the most connected guy in the country uh digital media uh, f- uh expert uh Brett Levy from Rapid Blue Digital and we're going to be talking about augmented reality. What's up Brett? Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thanks for coming through, Brett. Cool, man. Tell us a bit about your company. So, uh, Rapid Blue Digital is part of Rapid Blue. Uh, we're actually, our roots come from TV. So, we do a lot of the big TV shows like uh, X Factor and Come Down With Me. South Africa and or like South National- Africa ah. produce. And, yeah, so we, we play in that space. Um, and uh, Rapid Blue Digital is all about the digital support that goes with it. So, we build the websites, the apps, some gamification, but most importantly, augmented reality. What's gamification? Gamification is when you find really old gammon ham in the fridge, you know, that's got left over and it's gone gamified. Um, <laughs> no, it's when we take, when you take. I started believing <laughs> you there for a second. I, could I was see like, that. what? <laughs> <laughs> so gamification is taking a brand and turning it into a game that you can play. So you actually get to touch the brand. So on your, on your iPhones, your tablets. Um, you don't actually have a blatant brand presence, but the brand is subtly represented it mm. through a game. 
the last 10 minutes of this segment, we'll be creating a Cliff Central game and you are going to come conceptualize the whole thing. We're going to throw ideas into a pot. We are going to come up with the sickest PS3 game for Cliff Central. Well, we wouldn't go PS3. We'd go iPhone. But what about, you know, the game Whack-A-Mole with all the heads pop Wait, up? Wait, guys, save so it in your heads. I want to find more about augmented reality and the last... Five, ten minutes, cool. we're going to spit out all these ideas. Sound <laughs> good, Neil? Sounds great, man. Ah, let's do Sounds this. Good. Okay. So augmented reality is the new in thing. Neil just he, Neil went crazy about it this morning when, when he found out that was the topic. Absolutely, absolutely. It's very close to my heart. And actually on the back of my iPhone cover, I've got an augmented reality uh, code, which brings, out a, which brings out a bunny that you can play tennis with. <laughs> but it's, it's not all fun and games, is it, Brett? What's, uh, what, it's a serious business. Uh, it is. Um, I mean, the fun side is exactly what you've explained. Uh, the back of my business card brings out all cool stuff as well. Ah, pass me a business um, card. <laughs> I don't have ah, it. Ah, what a business card. Come into Cliff Central, bring a business <laughs> card. Business Come on. Man. It's not visual. <laughs> um, I'm surprised, Neil, you don't have it. I mean, I thought maybe you kept it next to your bed at night. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it is serious. You know, it started off as visual representation. The way I try and describe it is the QR code on steroids. You know, we can take any image and we can link content to it so a great example is we take the cliff central logo you hold your phone over it and all kinds of video content comes out of it uh being digital we can track it which is the most important thing i mean as we all know sitting in this room we're digital we're online and uh, brands want to know you know who's engaging how engaging the previous guys that were in here just now we're talking about tracking you all over the over the web we do the same thing um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it, but it is still fun. I mean, it's not like being a corporate banker or anything like that. Do you think that's one of the main pushes to go digital because of the whole tracking? Definitely. Um, you know, a lot of the presentations from some of the big media houses are now showing and proving that spend is moving more and more towards digital for that simple reason. You know, we, we're an always on society. We're always connected. And, uh, the nice thing is that you can track every single motion and movement across, uh, across the web. Now, Neil over here is our head of sales at cliffcentral.com. So, big round of applause. Brings in the money. You can reach us at sales at <laughs> cliffcentral.com. And That's shameless. Uh. How, how, how would you use augmented reality to push sales? I think, Mark, you, the important um, uh, decision at the end of the day is, is how you can actually convert convert whatever you do so just like any marketing activity if there's no conversion uh then 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 there's no point um what augmented reality does is it it helps it helps create sexy campaigns around around what you what what you're producing and it brings the physical world into into real life so things like brochures can come come alive and in a very fun entertaining engaging manner you can you can convey uh, a brand's message uh quite 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 creatively and i think that's one of the exciting things about about ar but you can't get tied up in the in the in the bells and whistles and glitz and glamour it, it's got to have a have a have a definite business return on investment just like any sales or marketing strategy and i think that's the trick that that it's got at the moment brett you can maybe um uh, uh, fill in on this but uh, at the moment augmented reality is, is quite expensive to produce isn't it no not at all actually um oh we must get this neil <laughs> it's cheap we must get it absolutely where's your I business mean, card Brett? yeah i mean uh it's it I, I think that's also a big misconception in the industry and uh if i can have the little shameless plug the fact that we do it locally obviously brings the cost down quite a lot 
Um, we're not using overseas technology you or overseas license. You guys got your license. own little IT ninjas in a little we dark do. room downstairs. As I like to always say, they're the guys with the headsets, the two screens sitting going doof, 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 click, click, click. And a yeah. girlfriend sitting somewhere in like North New Zealand or somewhere like that. Eating prawns, yeah. <laughs> So, so that's how you make it uh, cheap. There's the plug again. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know we've we, we've done AR for as low as a thousand rand, and we've done it all the way up to five hundred thousand rand, and obviously what, everything in between. What big companies nowadays are making like the most use out of AR? Because it's fairly new, right? Yeah. It actually it's isn't. It's been really? around for a long time. Um, I've only just started seeing it, like on Neil's phone cover. Yeah, you know the the challenge that we've had is like any other technology. I mean, when when a new tech comes out, um, the only people that are going to make it work are the brands because they're the ones with the money. And if they don't invest in it and they don't promote it, then we don't find out about it. But we've been doing AR for over two years now, um, so it's it's definitely not a new technology, and and we weren't the first by any means. What's like the number one coolest thing you've ever done with augmented reality? Um, well, the good thing is this is not an uh, age-restricted show. I mean, we could tell you all kinds of things. But if you really want me to know, on the FHM cover, I think it was November last year, was Yolandi Fisser from the Antwerp. Yeah. And uh, let's just say what we put back, what the editors took out in Photoshop on whoa, the whoa, cover. Whoa, whoa, Let whoa, it whoa, loose, Brett. Come on. <laughs> Let it loose. This is completely uncensored. Right. So the bottom line is uh, we had no problem uh, putting the camel toe back where it needed to be <laughs> using AR. So I could take my phone over there. Yep. And it would take her top off? No, or? no, no, no. She, they'd airbrushed the grooves from her, her bikini out. And they wanted this FHM. No, they didn't. This was our little own gorilla private joke. You said, what's the coolest oh. thing I've done? So we did it. But I think uh, in more real terms, in fact, on shelf now, is, uh, we've done what no one's done in, what, 15 years, and that's cigarette advertising and marketing. The new um, camel packs have been augmented using our technology. What you do? So when you buy a pack of camel and you open them up and you use our app, it brings the whole pack to life and you see all cool visuals and it's pretty cool. What about hidden advertising? Like say we started selling uh, pornographic magazines, the girls have clothes on and once you like take your phone over it, it removes the clothes and now you can sell it in like freaking kids stores. <laughs> <laughs> I know that my kid would probably be the first open queue to get it, but yeah, definitely. Um, that's actually a fantastic, Neil. That's a fantastic, fantastic idea. We'll be like the first cover guys on it. <laughs> but, I mean, you talk about you talk about the hidden content. We're looking at things like virtual hunts. You know, you can go hunting around, uh, looking for content through your phone. That's not there. I mean, you don't have to physically put it there. Google did an amazing thing last year with a game called Ingress, and you see people running around with their phones looking for these little like detonation points. Um, one of the guys in South Africa in Hillbrow actually broke his leg playing Ingress. He was so busy following his phone. Oh, I don't understand. So it's like a, a tag game sort of. Um, so what you do is you choose a team. You're either for the force or you're against the force type of thing. Um, and you choose an area, um, and you put up, you put up, I, I would call them landmines. They look little marker bombs. bombs. <laughs> and, if you're against that, you've got to find these and then cancel them. So it's one of those, I put them up, you take them down. And you've got to find these hidden spots. And that's what the ingress was all about. And uh, one of these spots was in Hillbrow. And the guy was walking around with his phone trying to find out where it is. And he tripped and broke his leg. Um, but he didn't lose his phone in Hillbrow, so that's a good thing. He's still left there <laughs> with his phone. <laughs> Do you not think this whole augmented reality uh, development sport is a bit nerdy? 
Uh, no, I mean, I. Do you think you're a bit of a nerd? Definitely. You play yeah. computer games on the weekend. Um, Describe I, your weekend to me. Well, yeah, I've got a, I've got an eight-year-old now, so it, we we do what any father and son would do, and but we try to bring a little bit of technical into it. He's got, he's actually much to my disgust told me that uh, he's not for Apple, he's for Android, um, which <laughs> does break it does, heart. It does break my heart. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we'll play Skylanders uh, on the Wii, or you know, we'll sit there. He's now very into Clash of Clans, so we've got to get I won't troops. Lie, I played that as well, but so you're a nerd too. Don't but, tell uh, nobody, please. No, we won't tell anyone what you've just said. You play if, Clash of Clans. If, on, if they found out about that on the Gary Cliff show, yo, 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 Clash of Clans is yeah. such an in thing. You make a little clan. It's I, you explain it because no, no, I don't have the nerd like vocab to explain that I, I must say I haven't got into it uh, it's like a strategic game where you've got to build up a fortress and then defend it and attack other people's fortresses you upgrade I mean, your walls to like level 7 otherwise the wizards are going to come in <laughs> I can't so. believe I'm actually talking about it look it's one of the biggest it's one of the biggest in the world as far as those type of games go um, how much does a developer of a game like that make wow I've heard like a guy made uh, some stupid game like Flappy Birds and made like Ten million dollars a day. Yeah, no, it was making about fifty thousand dollars a day on the ad revenue. It probably took him about three hours to build that game. Oh my good lord! Yeah, don't get me started on Flappy Bird. It's uh, I actually made a game called Bird Slicer, which is pictures of Flappy Bird, and you get to cut them up. <laughs> it just makes me feel better. So you actually can make games? <laughs> yeah, we can make games. How long does it take you to make a single game? It just depends on how it works, Mike. I mean, what's involved, if the engines already are available to be repurposed. So the part that makes the game work, you can get engines and repurpose them. So have you ever played a slicing game, like Fruit Ninja or Angry Birds? Okay, I've played Angry Birds. So when you pull your finger back and let the bird go, it's an engine that's doing that. So you can take that engine and put it in Wait, you've got to dumb down this concept a bit more. Okay, so... (laughs) The code that was written. Yes. Not in a typewriter. Yes. With a mouse. Okay. The code that drives the game. The, 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 the engine. The engine. <laughs> I mean, there we go. So those you can repurpose. And if you look at Angry Birds, it's a very good example of repurposing is that they've got so many virgins of the, <laughs> virgins. <laughs> virgins. I'm thinking about, you see, I'm thinking about the show, game. It's a tech show. <laughs> hey, you show, me a, you show me a nerd that's not thinking about virgins. Um, there's so many virgins of uh, Angry Birds that that's all they've done. They've taken the same engine and they've just reskinned it and put a new look and feel, a new so spin they built on it. one model and then just changed the color. In their defense, they've just brought out a new one, Transformers, where they don't do that. They've actually changed the whole engine and the way the game plays. Um, but to date, yeah, it's always been the same game with just different graphics. Neil, why don't we have a game at Cliff Central here? Well, we've got Bridge, we got bridge here now. So, uh, <laughs> Let's make a game. What are we going to make, Mikey? What, what, what do you reckon? Where do we start off with trying to make a Cliff Central game? So I think the most important thing, and, and this is where a lot of guys get it right and the get it wrong. The engine. No, not even the <laughs> engine. It's what would the people playing the game want. That's the secret. So we could sit here and say, well, whack-a-mole, we've got pictures of uh, Damon and Gareth and everything popping out and you have to hit them. I mean, that could be cool for us, but uh, would the viewer, uh, the listeners want to actually play a game like that? It's all about that stickiness. You know, the guys want to play. Um, so we've got to sit down and come up with a very cool theme. Um, or, I mean, you guys have got some really cool brands that are behind you. I mean, we've got so, so many shows here. I mean, we, we would have to incorporate everything. We wouldn't just pick one show. That's, and that's the trick. And you also go through so many genres as well. What about like a, um, a gun game? 
So you pick a the theme is the show. So say we pick Casper's show. So the gun game goes with the ducks, but instead of the ducks, it's p- people at Cliff Central's head. And when someone from Casper's show goes along, you have to shoot them. But you're not allowed to shoot anyone from another show. <laughs> um, I think Brett, can you pull that off? Yeah, huh? we can pull that off, definitely. I mean, uh, it's but that's just I think one be idea. quite a few guys that want to shoot, uh, <laughs> yeah. shoot Casper. The only problem is, would you be able to see Casper above this? I mean, this table's quite high. <laughs> what ideas you got? What Neil? about uh, what about a, a, a pie-eating app where we feed Damon pies until he explodes? Mm. What about that one? He'll never explode. <laughs> so I mean, it'll be a never-ender, which is quite cool. There's a lot of never-ender games out there as well. I think we could come up with ideas, and, and I, I think maybe we must open up to some of the the listeners as well. And What's the first the, idea off the top of your head? I mean, you've been doing this for years. Besides I, for whack-a-mole. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must say that the the games that I personally enjoy are your what they call um, side on players So when there's a little dude Or something moving From left to right And you've got to jump And you've got to hop Mario Brothers uh, Platform games Is what they call them ah. There's some really cool Platform games out there And, and, and they're addictive I mean, So people, what sort of Platform game Let's let's make a well, scenario I'm playing a game At the moment Called Limbo Which is incredibly dark I mean everything Dark in, as in Dark the, as in Gothic dark like ah. Everything's just trying to kill this poor little dude. And Who he's did just you in bring in here, Neil? <laughs> <laughs> he's scaring me. I should have screamed him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, that that type of game is really engaging because you've got to unlock. There's no instructions. You've got to unlock clues by just figuring things out. Um, and another one that's done very well is Monument Valley. Um, that uses 3D and optical illusions. So how do you, you use optical illusions in a game? Very easy. So you know that famous one with the triangle when it's at bent angles and it all looks like they're working at different sides? Like the maze. Like the maze. Mm-hmm. In this specific game, you have to move all the pathways around to help the character move through this little world and they all work in it's optical. It's like a jigsaw sort of puzzle piece. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, it's a fa- and the, the guy did it. It was a paid game, so there was no advertising, nothing like that. Did over a million downloads at $3 a game. I mean... What happens if you wanted to put augmented reality into a game? Can you? We've done it. You can? We've done a deal with uh, Jomo Sono, the soccer legend. Yeah. We've built a game that's uh, it's, it's an engine called Flick AR or Flickr. And, um, I know Flickr, but it's not a game. It's like a picture app. Uh, yeah, no, that's Flickr. With a, uh, this is Flick AR. Flick um, Flickr. <laughs> um, yeah, so we will actually be launching it very soon. Um, and then doing one for rugby as well for the World Cup next year. So using augmented reality. Give us some tips what you're doing for the rugby. It's the same game engine. Same using game. Augme- yeah, so using augmented reality. You're going to be able to move rugby balls through posts, challenge people, share. It's all about sharing. If you can't get the social traction, your game doesn't succeed. Hmm. Neil, I think we best... Uh, we answer something here, Mikey? I think we best sort out a meeting and... <laughs> Should we call the bosses? There's definitely some room for augmented definitely, reality Definitely. Here. Imagine people could have like a it's guided right. tour here by like Gareth Cliff and he's not even here using augmented reality. Absolutely. I mean, quickly, and I know we've got to obviously be aware of time, but there's two other very exciting components of AR. The second one is location-based. So you can hold up your device and see what's around you and information on it, all looking through your screen. Very much like what Google Glass does when you look at the videos of Google Glass. Is Google Glass augmented reality? I would say so, yeah. It's a very good example of AR. And then the third one, which is really, really cool, is when, if you think like how Xbox works, where the camera puts you into the game, 
we do that with experiences. So we put you into the experience on a big screen. Into the game. Yeah, so we've done that for Telcom locally. Um, National Geographic's done it overseas. It's it's really cool stuff. I've seen in some shopping centers, like you can now try on clothes. That's AR. Virtually. Yeah, that's virtual and AR combined. That's a magic mirror. Like it's done correctly as into drive sales? Because, I mean, can you really get a feel for the item you want to buy just by seeing it on like a mirror? Yeah, clothes I think is a bit difficult. What works really well is watches, glasses. Because you can actually have them put on your hair and you can look. Haircuts? No, I mean, look, look at yours. So it's, uh, <laughs> Mine's perfect. What are you on about? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why you're not wearing over-the-head earphones, just in-ear. So yeah, I definitely did yeah, not want to mess my hair. I'm like the, the coolest nerd around <laughs> that plays Clash of Clans. <laughs> there we go. But uh, haircuts and makeup, in fact, uh, I think it's Revlon or Mac have done it for makeup. So women can actually see what that color would look like on them without having to buy Buy the makeup, so it, it works. Yeah, definitely. Learned quite a lot today, and you, Neil, yeah, augmented reality. This is the this is the new game changer. This is the game, Marky. Where can we where can we catch you at? Where can we follow you? Um, so on Twitter, it's at fatcatbrett, spelled P H A T C A T Brett. Um, our website is rapidblue.com or rapidbluedigital.co.za. Um, LinkedIn, uh, I'm everywhere. I mean, I try and, and make sure that I'm on every possible portal out there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Last comments, Neil? No comments, Mike. I think let's get oh. back to work, huh? Up next is <laughs> coming on Cliff Central.